up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of But I'm Tess. I'm Tess, and I'm joined by my BFFFFL, Trina. How are you, Trina? I'm good. Hi. Um, I'm feeling a bit frazzled because I'm moving, and Yikes. all my shit is everywhere, but that's okay. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited for our guests, and hopefully, you know, I'll make it make it okay. The move is actually literally a block. It's just moving the, a block down from where I live now. So it's really nothing to be so dramatic about. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. And no, it's a but slow moving move, is, too. Moving is an inconvenience. It is. Moving, moving sucks, genuinely. Right. Totally. Um, I'm about to get kicked out of my house. Oh. Uh, we all are. Yeah. Because, um... Our landlord, who's a, a shitty man, um, he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can badmouth him, I believe. Um, he, he's trying to knock down this building and turn it into, you know, one of them dar brick buildings that he can charge a lot more money on. Oh. It doesn't matter. You know, I, it's fine. But Just are you moving is inconvenient. S- I hate it. Moving is inconvenient, but that is a particularly rough situation. And I wish you weren't getting yeah. pushed out of your housing, you know, prematurely. But are you going to stay? And I just moved here, too. Yeah, you really did, like, this past winter. Yeah. Moving sucks. Uh, but, Trina, I believe that you will survive. Thank you. Speaking of survival. Speaking bleh. of survival. <laughs> The namesake of this episode, Survival Jobs. And Trina, we kind of have talked about the fact that all jobs are, all all jobs survival job. Yes, uh, absolutely. Because you do need a job to survive. Absolutely. Unfortunately. However... However, there are some some specifics that maketh the survival job. And I think especially in the comedy world, which is where we exist. Uh, LOL. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, so, I do love it here, but sometimes I don't. Yes. No, I love it here so much and it does not pay the bills. <laughs> no, <you know? laughs> no, no, no. Not at all. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's so there is a very big thing in the comedy world that you're doing your stand up and then also during the day you're like a waitress or um a barista. Yes. Or anything else you can imagine. Yeah. Um, Trina, you've had some pretty heinous survival jobs, haven't you? I have. I'm lucky now in that I'm working a job that is is, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, yes, of course, is a survival job because I need it to pay my bills. But also is a job that I like enjoy and I love working with gold. And it's been great to have that now. But let me just say, when I first moved to Philly, (laughs) (laughs) I was doing all kinds of nonsense. And Mm -hmm. I would like to set the scene for you, Tessa, because I think I've talked to you about it. But listener, if you're listening... So when I first moved here, I was working an internship that wasn't based in Philly. It was based in New York. It was for um, NYPR. Really, really cool. And then it ended. And then I was like, damn, I like totally need an income. So I literally got a job (laughs) off the street. I got a job at a gallery. um, And it was like cool at first, but it was like totally off the road. Like I just kind of showed up and... Then was given, like, the most random tasks. Like, I was, like, fixing lights. I was, like, climbing on ladders that I probably needed permits for, for to climb on. Like, painting resin on the facade of this building. Um, 
I was oh, setting resin. up like yes, resin. Yes, yeah, I'm a resin fun. girl. Yes, the fumes <laughs> were noxious, of course. Um, and have to be. I was like setting up a red bubble shop for this gallery. Um, and then, like, after I started working with gold, I kind of was able to cut back a lot of my hours because then I, like, had, like, a, you know, like, a job. And um, I, I kind of the, – the environment of this workplace was really weird, too, because, like, the man would forget to pay me and would – or, like, mm. would be like, when you come in in your next shift, that's when I'll pay you. Um, and the checks were far and few between, and they were, like, $300, and it would be, like, $300 for, like – a month's worth of of work or something kind of like insane mm. um yeah so when i started working at gold i was like thank god i can leave this behind <laughs> um and right i he thank like you, then gold. like left the country like he owes me money i think for setting up like a like a few different things like a website and not a website but like setting up some merchandise stuff and then he like left the country so um Sus. yeah and then I like recently actually saw him in his store, in his gallery. Like I was walking by because it's right, it's like close to where I live and just diverted my eye contact because I was like, I did not know what to do. Like, so anyway, you things like that happen. <laughs> you grab him by the collar exactly. and you say, hey man, you owe me money, see? LOL. Yeah. If, yeah, if I was like a 1920s ragtime. Get in touch with your inner Philly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But anyway, so that's like the most recent survival job story I have. But what about you? What is a survival job moment for you? <laughs> well, I worked at a... Have you ever worked in food and bev? No, but I have worked at an escape room, which is the only... Okay, <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about that for sure. Totally, we will. But I, I just... want to hear about your food and bev experience. I worked at a restaurant that was um, should have been shut down by like the health inspector. I would think. Whoa. Like part of my. <laughs> what do you mean? I was hired. <laughs> so I was hired as a hostess, but I ended up doing you know anything they needed me to. Of do course, because, that's how it goes. Yeah, you can. Um, mm -hmm. And part of my job, especially before brunches, which was our craziest day. I would go around the windowsills and get rid of all of the black flies that were just hanging around. Oh my um, god! Ew, were they it was dead? Just like a, uh, some of them. <laughs> oh. Some of them I had to get. Like there was definitely an issue. It was definitely a gross place that built a lot of character for me personally, and <laughs> they did ultimately go out of business. No, yeah, I'm all about building character. <laughs> That's always how we reframe negative experiences. I learned so much. Mm -hmm. My character I was did. so built. Um, it's huge. That sounds honestly terrible. How old were you, or like mm -hmm. how recent was that job experience for you? That was 15 or 16, I think. Okay, that's a crazy. Yeah, so that's that like a first a job ago. moment for you. That was a first job moment. Yeah, that's and, crazy. You know, good one to start with. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, I had some internships over the years that just taught me that nothing I do is valuable, really. And you know something, mm -hmm. Trina? Nobody has been on Indeed.com more times than I. And, and <laughs> honestly, this 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 podcast Funny. is anti-sponsored by Indeed. This podcast goes against Indeed <laughs> and against ZipRecruiter and Not says, Zip honestly, 
No, you need to go to the people yourself. Our second guest is going to talk to you guys a little bit about that. But it, it, Indeed is a scam and I hate it. <laughs> Indeed has only ever led me astray. I did apply. Mm-hmm. This is like summer 2018, right after freshman year of college. I applied to work at anthropology and... I like it was an anthropology that wasn't even like close to where I lived. It was really far away, but I thought I could make it work for some reason because I was like, I don't know. I can go there. Like, I don't know what my, I don't know. It just was like, I'll work at this like really far away, like anthropology. So I applied Mm -hmm. and I like wore my Sunday best, which was like a New York and company blouse and like my, like, like tapered pants, very 2018 and like ballet flats. (laughs) Um, And I was like, this is a gorgeous little outfit I've adorned. And so it's going to be great. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the anthropology it. GXRL like I'm this is I'm I'm giving anthropology (laughs) so I like went for my interview and they like took me to like a back room that was like lounge seating because they also were fashion stylists so they had kind of Mm -hmm. presented themselves and (laughs) they were like they were like you know basically giving a woman counsel on on what kind of like tule skirt to wear when I was being interviewed and it was very strange Um, But the lady really seemed to like me. And then she asked me what my availability was. And because this was such a far anthropology, I really only had like specific hours that I could be there. And I was like, yeah, anytime because I wasn't trying to wake up so early. So I was like, yeah, anytime from like, you know, like 1pm to like 4pm because I want to go home before rush hour. Right. (laughs) Um, And she was like, okay. And then like had me fill out this survey that was like, if you have a friend, if you have a discount, an employee discount, would you let your friends and family use it? And I was like, of course, I'm going to let my friends and family use the discount. What am I, a narc? No, like, but I bet anthropology is so the type of guys oh, to be like. they <laughs> cut the interview. They cut the process immediately. Like, as soon as oh I submitted God, that survey, dude. they were like, yeah, you're not going to work here. You can't give your, yeah. There was an episode of uh, Broad City where Abby is applying as a, um, Abby works at an anthropology. Wait, think, yes. Two seconds. Yes, yeah. I love that It's like that the episode. funniest parody of it. Yeah. Yeah, and also they talk about that, too, about, like, giving your discount to other people. And I'm like, why would I not yep. do that? Um, Literally, why would you not do that? But that's the closest I came to working, like, super, super retail. Because before that, like, my first, first job ever was working at an escape room. And I was a game master. And I can't remember if I've told the story that's to wild, you. dude. Or if I've told it I on don't, the pod. I don't think so. Okay, well, so I was a game master. I was 18, and there was a new escape room right by my house. And my job was basically to literally monitor like a computer like a camera in each of these escape rooms and like listen to the audio of guests and give them clues as they were solving the puzzle so i would like hear them be frustrated and then i would type a clue and they would see it on the screen oh yeah all in yeah. riddles um and i also had <laughs> Did to you have to come up with the riddles sometimes yeah because you had to make them interesting like you can't just give it away you know you have to be kind of right. like um, nary, nary key, key is near, but soon to be found under the beer. And then, like, they would, like, look under. under I just made that beer. up. That's not, like, real. That's no, not, that like, was good. Thank you. Yeah. It's do you practice. do improv? 
<laughs> no, but I know you do. Um, I do. And it was a really weird job. And I also had to show people how to use basic locks, which was like, I had to give them a mm. tutorial and be like, welcome to no, the Lucky Duck Speakeasy. Um, <laughs> just like, really. And my, all my coworkers were like high school boys that I went to school with. And mm-hmm. I was like totally like in orchestra and then would go to my escape room job after work because like all my friends had boyfriends except for me. And so I had nothing all to of- do except for this job. And it was just That's like good. so I mean- out of body <laughs> and so weird. <laughs> like I just really have never been more, I've never had a job like that since. Cause it's a really like, I think mm. high school job to have. <laughs> well, yes, but also like, I mean, sometimes I will take up jobs and tasks because I know they're going to lead to really good stories. Yeah. You know? And I, I do be using that as fodder for my stand up. Wait, that's a good approach to, like, working weird jobs. Because they really are just, like, weird sets of experiences that give you money. Like, Mm -hmm. everything about working a job, even, like, more regular ones, feels kind of strange. Like, you're fighting for your life in a spreadsheet. It just feels really, like, why am I... We're all doing this in the spreadsheet. (laughs) Like, it's, like, crazy. Yes. You know? Okay, my housemate works a job. I have no idea what she does. Um, But it's, like event planning i think around the city of chicago and yesterday she called us me and uh my other housemate and was like hey can you guys come down to this bar really quick my company is like doing a shoot or something and needs bodies basically and we got down you know we didn't ask any questions but Mm -hmm. we got down there and they wanted us to just take a shot of malort which is one of the most (laughs) heinous liquors I've ever experienced. Of course. It's, it's just, it tastes like um, eating a tree bark or something. Awesome. Um, Perfect. And so they, they filmed us doing that. They gave us this shot of Malort. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, thanks. That's all we need. <laughs> uh, wow. And I was like, what the, f- what is your job? Like, <laughs> they oh. just have us doing, I think, when, especially, I talk about this often, but like when you're in your 20s, um you're not doing a career as much as like little tasks every day for anybody who needs something i walk around all day and i'm like hey does anybody need me to like send an email or post a silly little tweet that's so funny it is very it does feel a little like go fetch you know what i mean it's a little like you're like (laughs) and i do being asked to go kind of fetch something from like the bowels of google drive or something and yeah it is like an odd time to be like it's an odd age and i think like we are so this is like another i guess we haven't really like talked so much about the pandemic on the pod because it seems so besides (laughs) the point half the time like what is there that even to say um but i do think that like our specific age group is reckoning with work in such a crazy specific way because like we literally haven't really had like so much in-person experience with working Mm -hmm. aside from some stuff we maybe did in school and now it's either you're like waitressing and like actually putting yourself in harm's way because you're like around COVID all the time because you're working in a restaurant Mm -hmm. or you're like working at a laptop in your room or like in a weird co-working space or something like that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with either way of working per se. Like if someone does that over another, it's not like 
one is better than the other. It's they're just both yeah. weird. Like they're both weird. It's their neither option is like you both options are like, okay. Yes, I you're guess. kind of like squinting. Like, you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it just isn't yeah. really it isn't really the way we're like really meant to work. And so it does feel kind of like, um, okay, I'm just kind of like anyway, that that's my take on work right now. And so this episode is going to be a particularly special one because we are obviously going to mm-hmm. talk about survival jobs and like the things that are silly about working like random jobs. But also it's like mm-hmm. kind of kind of a weird moment to be a working person and like kind of a working yeah. young person. It is really strange. Kind of annoying, kind of strange, kind of dumb, kind of silly, kind of goofy. Yeah. and uh, you It's can- all going down. It's all going down, and that doesn't mean, listener, that it can't be fulfilling, because we... Hell no, dude. There are ways to make it fulfilling, and there are jobs that are really cool, and gold as a community has been really cool, even though, like, a lot of our stuff is remote. It feels good to have, like, some to, some folks to reach out to and to work with and who are interested in, like, this this work in this space, but it is, like, a weird time, and I hope we get out of it soon. We're very excited to bring it to you. Um, stick around. We'll be right back after these commercials uh, from um, a horse wrangling. Yes. Do you need to wrangle your horse? I've always wanted to do a fake ad read. I think. Do it, babe. Do it. Okay. Here comes a fake ad read. Is your horse crazy and unbridled? Yes. Then let me introduce you to our company. Uh, hold her down. It's wow. the only company that'll come get your horse and wrangle her right up. Just, just kind of make her calm down. Usually, we just give them a, a little piece of sugar. I love it. Call us now at one eight hundred Get My Horse dot com. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stop now. That was great. Perfect. Seven in ten girls believe that they are, in some way, not good enough. For more information on this startling statistic, please visit patriarchy.biz. But here at Gold Comedy, we're using comedy to help girls run the world. How? By helping teen girls and women and non-binary folks boost their confidence, smash perfectionism, write sharper, think faster, and command any stage. I'm Gold's founder, Lynn Harris, and I approve this message and the message that soup is always good after a bad day. But that's not what this ad is for. Soup doesn't need ads. Join Gold Comedy at club.goldcomedy.com. Welcome back to Vidum Tess. We're talking survival jobs, and we have a great guest to talk about survival jobs with us. She is a comedic writer. She writes for Gold. She does our newsletters famously, and they are works of art every time. We'll definitely talk about those. She is also a preschool teacher, and she is a recovering middle school girl. Please welcome Miranda. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) How's it going? Are you surviving, would you say? Um, Great first question. Uh, I would say I am surviving. I would not say I'm thriving. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, this <laughs> luckily this episode is not about thriving jobs, um, <laughs> and obviously, we all all of us would love to be making fat stacks from comedy, get in the bag. But it seems like a tough climb. 
Um, have you personally had to do some odd jobs uh, to make make ends meet? Oh, yeah. Pay off those sweet, sweet student loans. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, even right now, like, so I work as a preschool teacher. Um, I just started a couple months ago. I was doing freelance work before then for a PR firm, but I don't know anything about PR. So I don't know how I was working there for like a year. Um, right. And I write for gold, um, every week. And I also work at a restaurant and I try to do babysitting gigs and yeah, it's a, it's a circus out here. You are all over the place. What? So, okay. I mean, like working as a waitress in many ways is like the antithesis of being a preschool teacher, (laughs) except that you have to deal with like, um, differently aged drunk people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because babies are just like drunk people. When I first started, I was like, so I actually work as a host, not a waitress. It's a very important distinction because... Um, waitresses get paid a lot more and I still, <laughs> make, I still make very little at the restaurant. Um, right. but, uh, yeah, when I first started at the daycare, I was like, this is the same clientele, except now I have to, instead of serve food to the customers, I have to wipe their butts. <laughs> if I want to talk shit about them. Actually, it's nice at the daycare. I can talk shit about the kids right to their faces because they don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> at the restaurant, I have to hide it. When when you are, you know, wiping an ass or dealing with an asshole at a restaurant, like what gets you through? You know, what makes you survive, so to speak? Um, honestly, shots. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Uh, I feel like shots at the daycare, shots at the daycare, juice boxes. Um, thinking about talking about it later in like a funny way. Honestly, that sounds like so like, and that's why I do comedy. But no, it is real. It, it is like, I think one of the main things that does actually get me through it is is being like, I'm gonna tell my boyfriend this later, and he's gonna find it so funny. Um. <laughs> And maybe I'll write a joke about it. Maybe I won't. But like someone somewhere is going to find this as funny as I do in this moment. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, would I love to be making money off of comedy? Yes. But I think that the best comedy comes from real life experiences, which I might not just get hanging around a bunch of comedians. Yeah. Um, You got to throw yourself out there uh, and experience things. Exactly. Sometimes you gotta wipe a couple butts to you gotta crack, wipe to crack the butts. egg. What is that? Is that an old saying? I've heard that. Yeah, I think George Carlin. <laughs> wipe that, a probably. couple cracks to crack the yolk. I don't know to crack them up. Right. Oh yeah, that's our <laughs> new slogan. <laughs> Let's get deep. Have you ever been fired? Um, I actually don't think I have ever been fired. Um, no, I'm. I don't. I don't know. Kind of, kind of really freaking good at what I do. <laughs> no, I'm. I Absolutely. just. I think like like I've never worked someplace long enough or done anything egregious enough. But I have had a lot of employers like really put up with me being late. I, I'm late a lot. Right. Well, it's tough, and we do have other shit going on. <laughs> Famously, what's up for you uh, on the? comedic side of things any exciting gigs or uh 
freelance assignments? Um, gosh, honestly, that's the thing is that like, I would love to have exciting things going on. However, I'm doing, you know, essentially three jobs, right? Because I work at the daycare and then I come home Mm -hmm. and I write for gold. And then, you know, at some point I have to like go to the bathroom and, um, and then I, (laughs) (laughs) a job in and of itself, a job in and of itself. And no one pays me and no one's talking about that. Um, it's fucked up, but I, uh, yeah. And then I work at the restaurant and then, oh, four jobs really, because I'm in a relationship. And so that's like a whole, um, which is a survival it's an unpaid internship if you will um with and you're learning but like the experience is not like money (laughs) i can't wash my laundry with experience (laughs) um yeah so so as far as like comedic stuff i mean i i'm taking some classes at gold which is fun um the teacher is I'm I, it's weird to I'm like I'm not gonna plug it because the class is almost over but the teacher is running Ryan Cunningham <laughs> she's awesome she was a producer on Broad City and Surge Party and um oh a God. lot of cool stuff and she's teaching us like how to develop our t- scripted tv ideas and pitch them and um so that's like a creative thing that's going on and then sometimes I help out with like a variety show Nice. Yeah. Do you, do you uh, have a dream job, so to speak, or like a, you know, if you didn't have to wipe butts and you could make money doing absolutely anything, what? If I wasn't born to wipe be? butts. Right. If that weren't your God-given, you know, path. <laughs> I feel like we're talking about like um, some uh, dystopian world where like you're assigned a role at birth and... My, and it's like, like my families hammer. have been, yeah, my family has been in butt wiping for generations and oh, wow. it's, it's in your blood. It's in my blood. And so it's like, I'm singing like a song about breaking free of that mold, but right. uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, if I had it anyway, that's not what you asked me. <laughs> you didn't Miranda ask me just to... absolutely spaced out. <laughs> We're uh, diving in. Um, I... If I could do anything, I mean, I think it would be right for television or right for sketch, like televised sketch. I feel like a lot of uh, like television comedy these days, especially is like um, the working girl trying to make it uh, or the working girls who are like best. You know, I mean, it's like a um, like a broad city type, Mm -hmm. just like the modern day struggling woman. trope is very big right now hacks i mean it's all over the place yeah yeah but it's almost like it's like i'm bored of that that's what i'm doing already i don't know if i right or like every new show that i watch about a a woman struggling or like a funny person struggling i'm just like well great (laughs) (laughs) Great. shit (laughs) i guess yeah life imitates art no yeah like Everyone, when uh, Marvelous Mrs. Ms. Maisel came out, everyone was like, oh, Tess, you have got to see Marvelous Ms. Maisel because it's about a woman doing comedy. And it's actually one of the most depressing forms of content to take in, I think. I don't like seeing documentaries about comedians. Mm. <laughs> I don't like even when they have little flashbacks to their real life. I don't want to know about them. I just give me the comedy. Let yeah, me know it's a it's a possibility. Yeah, either give me the comedy or like I don't know, 
take a meeting with me. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> exactly. Answer my damn emails. <laughs> someone, someone was telling me yesterday that uh, a good way to get like picked up in comedy is you literally email um, agents and tell them to come to your open mics and that sometimes they do that. To your open mics? Right. But like imagine (laughs) like, oh, I'm going to be doing an open mic at this horrible bar. There will be 10 people before me who will make you want to cry. And then I'll be up and I might not do well. (laughs) Will you give me a job? (laughs) (laughs) What a bizarre... Uh, what a bizarre career choice we've we've made a choice for sure yeah do you have any I I feel like I feel like the concept of a podcast is like you're the host so you're asking me questions but it feels rude conversationally for me to not ask you if you're doing anything comedic right I'm doing comedy yeah I'm taking improv classes uh and I'm doing like some open mics at this theater there and it's a lot of fun however you are faced with a lot of that like um Oh, look at me. I'm not uh, a a unique individual at all. (laughs) Mm. Look at how many people are trying to do the same thing and like dress the same way and stuff. Yeah. But say, Levy. What's the theater called? It's in Chicago. It's called The Annoyance. Oh, I shout out The Annoyance. It's an amazing space. It's like so great. I think like AD Bryant got her start there and stuff. It's awesome. Are you like making friends? Like, or do you feel like you're like a part of it i'm trying you know what this whole podcast episode could be about you know being a new kid in your 20s Mm. uh trying to make friends because that is also a survival job yeah Um, and it's so hard for some reason to just like go up to people and be like hey what's up (laughs) (laughs) yeah um today i had nothing to say to my coworkers because the kids weren't there and without the kids we had nothing to talk about and so I, I, there was just right. this awkward silence and I just went yay Friday <laughs> it's Friday exactly. and they were like yay and I was like okay oh my God. <laughs> classic teacher you just go TGIF you get a little <laughs> poster do you enjoy well do you do you teach the preschoolers or just kind of wrangle them um so I'm like I say I'm a teacher. I'm more of like an assistant teacher because I don't really do the lesson plans because they do have lesson plans. Um, But kids these days, kids these days, they are our theme this month is babies. And I think, yeah, the teachers, you guys have themes. Yeah. Last week it was or last month it was plants. And then before that was water. And it's just like teaching them the basics. Um, So. Most well, one of those things is not like the other. Is it baby? Plants. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> what I was going to go. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> yeah, <What>? I don't... <laughs> I don't really know what anyone was thinking. I think they were just like... They were like, okay, what am I looking at right now? And it was some guy sitting at home. And he was like, well, I have a glass of water and a plant. And, oh, my baby. My baby's there. So we could do babies. Um, right, there's my baby. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, most of what I do is like keep the kids in line while the other teachers try to teach their lessons. And then a big portion of the day is dedicated to like just playtime, which they call center time. Um, Oh yeah. And so during that time, it's like helping with art projects, reading books. And then my like favorite part, which is also kind of the like most emotionally involved part is 
they fight like all the time. They fight with each other all the time. So you, it's like putting out little fires and trying desperately in those little moments to teach them like, this is why we don't hit. This is why we don't, um, headbutt. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, (laughs) Is it really? That's That's what the kids are doing. There's one girl who headbutts. And I actually, I had to write up like a, because every time there's an incident, you have to write a report. And I wrote a report (laughs) being like, child headbutted other child and uh, violence occurred. And the the, the admins were like, you need to change this. You can't show this to a parent. Violence occurred. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the weird things about working with. I like was a camp counselor a couple times and I always felt this immense pressure when I had to talk to them about something bigger than like you know math or reading Mm -hmm. because you're like oh I could be influencing how this child thinks for the rest of their life about something oh yeah and it's probably not that big a deal every time but sometimes you're like oh man what do I want to tell them about this (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Every time something kind of serious comes up, like, they have books in the classroom, like, you know, about women in history. And one of them is, like, Harriet Harriet Tubman. And, like, in that, it, like, you know, talks about slavery. And it's, like, that kind of stuff where it's, like, these kids are four. Like, and I don't know what their parents are telling them. I don't know if I'm the right person to explain, you know, (laughs) hundreds of years of oppression (laughs) to a four-year-old. Um, You're like, and it's still happening today. (laughs) And it's just uh, more subtle and more egregious. And people say that it doesn't exist, but it does. And they're like, like, I need to use the bathroom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Me too, King. uh, Yeah, I definitely think that I try to like pop in little lessons um, when I can. But it's hard because they, you know, their attention spans are really useless and <laughs> right um but then occasionally one of them will retain something and you're like oh my god i'm making a difference yeah well that was going to be my follow-up question was when do you start forming memories and is it that early i think so i mean i have memories of preschool for sure but yeah that's my survival this- job <laughs> nice this episode is turning into children we're just going to talk about kids and what they do <laughs> Um, not really at all. Not interested. <laughs> what was your first job? Let's let's get into that. Okay, my first job uh, was probably a babysitter. Honestly, I was too involved with kids. Um, yeah, you you've been around. I really have. Yeah, I was a babysitter, and then I was a camp counselor. Um, <laughs> and what type of camp was it? A Jewish camp? No, I went to a Jew. Okay. Do you know that I went to a Jewish camp? Is that what you asked? No, no, I don't. But I, I, you know, real recognize real, I guess. <laughs> game recognize game. Exactly. Um, uh, it was like not a sports camp. It was called, it was a Central Park camp. So it was like everything happened in Central Park. Oh. So a lot of that was sports. Oh, yeah. Well, we have to mention Miranda's from New York baby. Uh, and so that probably, I mean, everybody is like survival jobbing there because yeah i mean yeah yeah (laughs) every job help you survive but then also you went to college in boston right i did yeah um when i was in boston i worked at a pizzeria um nice which was that was like a that was such a funny talk about like survival like that was a place where like 
I don't know if it was like a spoken thing, but like they definitely actively were hiring people that had just been released from prison, which like is, I I don't, I didn't have a problem with at the time. Like they were all like, for the most part, like good coworkers, like good at what they did. But um, the stories that they would have and the ways that they would just sort of be like, yeah, I killed a guy. <laughs> and uh, I'd be like, okay. Oh, you're, and you're telling me this and you're giving right. me a slice of pizza. Well, that's cool. But I, so those like that, that's a good job or where you can get some uh, comedic fodder. Every opportunity for a joke. I don't know. It's, it's hard. I think like the thing about survival jobs and the thing that, you know, you won't really hear in like Q and A's with professionals. Um, this is juicy. Oh, this is well, very, very good. <laughs> I'm just like a survival job. Like it's all, like yes, it gives you material, and living your life gives you material, but it also exhausts you, and it makes it so that it the energy that you do have, you have to really focus to like then have the energy to turn it into comedy. So it's it's something right. that I'm learning how to do. I'm still learning how to do that and manage, you know, having friendships and relationships and keeping myself healthy and stuff. Right. That's very true. And I obviously uh, view most things through a comedic lens, uh, sometimes to my fault. And if Trina were here, they would be saying something very deep and insightful, I'm sure, about (laughs) the crushing weight of capitalism. And um, (laughs) yeah, it is. It's fucked up. That we can't just, like, do the things we enjoy and not have to worry about literally eating. Mm. Um, yeah. How do you... Okay, well, how do you, like, take care of yourself? How do you not only survive, but occasionally help yourself thrive, you know? Do you mm. have fun things that go on for you? Um, um, do you do Oh, uh, I hobbies? hate that my first thought was my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> that sucks. He's a fun thing you do. No, I, I think... I've always been like a relationship person. So I think like, um, just having somebody who I can call at the end of the day and be like this, this, this happened and who can tell me like, it's all going to be okay. He also, he works in restaurants and does like artistic stuff. So don't you play music? I do. I, I, that is another thing that I like, haven't been sort of on my A game with, although I did just have like a rehearsal with a friend of mine. Um, which was nice mm. to sort of get back into. I used to write music a lot. Um, Sweet. Which really, that was like a big way that I took care of myself. Yeah, I miss doing music. I feel like music and it used to be smoking weed, you know? It really used to be smoking right. weed. And now, I don't know what happened to me. I guess I turned 25 and my body was like, you need to have a baby. You can't be smoking so much weed. No, it is it is wild when your body does like that, and you're, like one day I'm I'll literally be like, oh, kids, and then the next day all of a sudden I'm just like, I need one. I have to have one. <laughs> I I like don't even I don't even like really need to have a kid. It's more like I think my body was just like, if you keep smoking this much weed, you're gonna become a person that legally shouldn't have a kid. <laughs> And right. biologically, mm-hmm. we can't let that happen. So point to body. Well, Miranda, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, you're a, like a perfect guest. And we went shallow and we went deep and we went. Uh, we went those to are the pretty pool. Much, <laughs> those we are the places the in the pool. pool. 
We went to the pool and we swam laps, baby. <laughs> um, before we go, is there anything you would like to plug? Any social media, uh, a personal website, uh, your writing? I mean, yeah, I guess just read the newsletter. I, I work on it pretty hard every week. And and they uh, are amazing every week. Thank you. Um, I guess if I was going to say anything, re-social media, it would be to um, the people who run the Instagram algorithm, if you're listening. <laughs> um, I, in fact, don't enjoy watching videos of abused dogs. And I don't know what made you think oh, that. Um, God. I think maybe I started to cry watching a video of a dog being put down. And I that obviously I lingered on the video. And then it mm-hmm. was like, oh, she must like this content. Let's keep it going for her. Um, but I've deleted my social media because of it. Uh, hey, let's go. <laughs> we love it. And that there, I think our, our next guest would approve of that. You know, I can't exactly say why, but I think something to do with self-help. So y'all stay tuned for that because it's... A sh- She's going to give you some advice, capital A. Uh, Thank you so much again, Miranda. No problem. And we'll see you around the club. See you around the club, Tess. Hi, it's me, Lynn, founder of Gold Comedy. You and I met before when we were talking about soup. Well, I founded Gold because I believe that comedy is power. Because when you make people laugh, you make people listen. I want to make sure that everybody listens to women and non-binary folks. The Gold Comedy Club is an all-inclusive comedy world with women and non-binary folks right at the center. Your annual subscription includes classes, celebrity Q&As, performances, practice, and collaboration, all in a safe, ad-free community of people who get you and your jokes. So join us to amplify your voice, literally with a mic, at club.goldcomedy.com. Welcome back from that commercial break, everybody. We are very excited to introduce our second guest. And I'm actually going to throw it over to Trina, who has like a personal connection with this guest. (laughs) Okay. It's very generous. I don't have a personal connection. I've read this person's book and it's helped me oh, right. a ton. This is Alexa Schoen, um, very illustrious, one of the many, many viral people on TikTok who gives out amazing career advice to young people and is the author of this book called Entry Level Boss, hashtag Entry Level Boss, in all capital letter- letters, colon, how to get any job you want. Um, and my copy is dog-eared. And highlighted, which maybe makes me a little, <laughs> little bit of a narc, but honestly, I don't even care. It's been really helpful for me, and I'm so stoked um, that she can join us all the way from Berlin. Hello, Alexa. How are you? Yo, yo, what's up? I am... I'm good. It is always a pleasure to meet somebody. It's still so surreal when I'm like, I wrote all that stuff down hoping it would work, and then look at you. It worked. I'm like, phew, okay. Oh, it totally worked. No, it totally worked. Totally worked. Yeah. Uh, What are you doing in Berlin? Berlin is my heart home and my halftime home. Uh, When I was in my like 24 year old early stage crisis of my own career. Yes. Uh, I fled America. Uh, I had been one of those study abroad kids that never wanted to come home. And so I spent one year and three weeks back in San Francisco pretty much exclusively with the goal of like, I knew I was supposed to like get a job where I could get a 401k. And like, that was what I I still swear to God, I can't tell you what a 401k is, but that's neither here nor there. 
And so uh, I obsessively in my depression during that year when I was 24, I uh, decided, screw this, I'm going back to Europe. And Berlin was where I landed. And that was uh, almost exactly eight years ago. And so I've been in Berlin or London ever since. What was your... I'm just curious what that first day there was like. You had a crisis. You were 24. You get on a plane. You get you get Classic. to Berlin. You get off the flight. And then you're in the airport. And then what's going on in your head? Because <laughs> now you're in Berlin. You know what I mean? I'd never been here before. I didn't know anybody in the city. Do you speak the language? Nope. Nope. I still to this day speak adorable farmer's market German. Why I was okay. First of all, it's that classic thing, right? Where they say, oh, gosh, like... You know, I never would have done it if I uh, hadn't been naive, right? I was still in my, like, that excitement of, like, I just want to, like, get to Europe. And I think of Europe in this magical way. Of course, it's now been eight years. I I think of this as a normal place that isn't any more special than America or or whatever, right? Um, But that first day... I had done a lot of research in the lead up to coming to Berlin. And the reason why I chose Berlin as my landing spot was I knew that I was going to be able to secure a freelance visa within 90 days when I got onto the ground, if I networked my face off, which I wound up doing. And I was coming in with the mentality of a very, very genius, uh, probably inappropriate romantic partner, but very wise mentor in my life. But he gave me un-American advice, which is, why don't you go for six weeks and see if you like it? And that is just so not something we tell people in America, right? Because like, who has six weeks to waste? Like, what if there's a gap on your resume? Mm, But I was so miserable. You know, that job was done. I was not going back to San Francisco. And so the worst thing that happened in my mind was I spent six weeks in this Airbnb in Berlin at the beginning of summer, like, you know, and uh, hilariously, my second week in Berlin, someone told me, oh, yes, I still don't know if this is true. It's the only time I've ever heard it. There's a phrase here in German, which is you either become a Berliner in six weeks or never at all. And I was like, well, look at me go. That's amazing. Is that something that you recommend? (laughs) No, I mean, honestly, I've considered it, but I always kind of have been like, well, I need like a school or something to ground me there. But it sounds like I mean, you had the wherewithal and the knowledge of yourself to know that you could just do that. And this episode's theme is survival jobs. But I also love the idea of thinking of movement and like moving to different places less about survival and tied to work and more as just like an experiential thing that you just choose to do and see if you can manage. So I'm genuinely curious. Is that something that you would tell people to do? I... Don't take as many friend of a friend of a friend phone calls as I used to. In the early days, people were like, my friend so-and-so is thinking of, you know, moving to Europe. Will you give them advice? And I was like, oh my gosh, sure. As if I was like the (laughs) European spokesperson or something. Uh, And the vast majority of those people, you know, never wound up leaving the U.S. But (laughs) that's why I don't take them anymore. I'm like, let me just record all those as advice, right? Uh, What I would always say on those calls is, All I can tell you at the end of the day is if you jump, Berlin will catch you. And of course, that's confirmation bias. And that's what happened to me and, you know, extreme privilege and lots of various different factors and and so on and so forth. But what I think that I do advocate for so much, whether if it's in careers or moving or whatever, is... And I'm the worst at this, which is why I tell other people to do it so that I remind myself... 
you cannot think your way out of a problem. <laughs> you, you have to make forward motion, right? So people who are like, I don't know, I like, I think I'm moving to New York. I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I'm like, when's the last time you were in New York? And they're like, well, I visited once when I was 14. And I was like, can we, can we start by going back to New York? <laughs> like, and, you right. know, and maybe we decide if that's actually what we want, if that's what you're trying to decide. Um, or people are like, Oh, I don't know. Like, I think I'm going to, uh, should I become a software developer? Will it make me happy? I'm like, sit and watch a YouTube video for 30 minutes. Right. Or I think I want to do stand up comedy, but I'm not brave enough. It's like, go to one open mic, right? Like some sort of forward motion. And so for me, it was like, you know, this dramatic version of like, screw all of you. I'm going to Berlin for six weeks and or forever question mark. Uh, <laughs> but I think also having that six week break makes it less scary. Right. I think in the U S especially, we always have this black and white framing on things, right? Like I either have to book a one way ticket and like, I'm going to be exiled forever. I, I don't know where we learn this shit. <laughs> Or I have to stay in the U.S. and give up my passport. Like, we think of things in these really intense black and white ways. And so that's why I always say it was very un-American advice that I got from this Kiwi ex-lover. How revolutionary is that? Why don't you test the waters? So when you got to the end of the six weeks, what, what, how did that go? So you get, so you're done, you're at the end of your six-week tenure. Mm -hmm. And you've networked a ton. Mm -hmm. Was it like a happily ever after moment? You like got a, something you were really excited about and were able to stay? Or was it like now you need to kind of make a choice? Uh, after six weeks, I still got on my flight back because I had to go to a wedding conveniently. Uh, but even Sweet. by the right, it was very smart timing. It all it all worked out beautifully. But then I immediately got straight back on a plane to Berlin and was already talking about it as if I lived there. When I went back for this wedding six weeks later, I was like, yep, just moved to Berlin. Uh, there's a lot of paperwork to do. And I'm just, I always say that my my 25-year-old self is my hero. I'm like, damn, like, look at you. Look at what you did. I think you were braver than me, that's for sure. Uh, and... So yeah, I, I had to network and get various people to kind of agree that if I were theoretically to get a German visa, they would theoretically give me work. And I, you know, got a recommendation for a German lawyer and, uh, and this German lawyer was like, okay, like if you do these 17 things and this like, you know, 200 pages of paperwork, then you can stay. And I was like, that's all I have to do. And then you mean I get to live here for real? And she's like, I know it's a lot of stuff. And I was like, no, sign me up. This is sick. Um, because I was so excited to, you know, be able to make this my real life. Right. And not just my study abroad life. Uh, so yeah, I should have written down the date somewhere. I'm sure I have it somewhere when I got my like actual German visa for the first time that meant that I was just a normal tax-paying resident. I do remember, these are still in the wow. Facebook era days, writing a Facebook post, and I think it said, I'm off the black market, baby. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> nice. <laughs> were there any rude awakenings when you became like a full-time Berliner that were different, that felt different from being like a, a six-week or study abroad person? There is this wonderful excerpt from a African poet whose name, of course, I cannot recall for you right now that has been appropriated by 
white Americans living in Europe. But I think it rings true for a lot of different people who have uh, spent any physical time away or found home in a different place. Uh, And the little excerpt goes, so here you are, too foreign for here, too foreign for home, never enough for both. And I think that is the kind of curse of finding another wonderful place in the world that feels as cozy as, you know, your childhood memories or something, right? Like, uh, I am frustrated that I, I, I'm not joking about not knowing what a 401k is because I've never been a salaried employee in America. <laughs> I've been a salaried employee in the UK, or, you know, and I, I know lots of things about investing in America as a American who lives abroad and, you know, but there are kind of core things. I don't really understand the American healthcare system because I've never had to be above the age of 25 in the U S. So I've never actually had my own American health insurance. And so there are these kind of core things that I feel like I am missing knowledge on. And yet, you know, whenever I get into a taxi over here or whatever, of course, immediately, like I already said, I don't speak German, but it, even if I did, it would still be like, oh, where, where are you from, from, right? Which mm-hmm. I am dealing with the most caviar problems, white privilege version of that. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it is one of those things that like, I will be a little bit at home and a little bit foreign everywhere forever. So did you work like a service, any service industry jobs in Berlin? I guess what we would call survival jobs. Did you have any that you went through that you were just like, I'm just doing this to make money and I have no passion. I was way too nervous to work any like uh, under the table jobs in Berlin because I was so focused on getting my visa. Uh, But I had planned ahead actually and brought a kind of, well, sort of under the table, whatever, but uh I had a freelance client, one freelance client in America that was going to pay me $800 a month. And they'd been paying me that already for a certain period of time. And they were just like, cool, keep, you know, doing our Instagram, what, whatever, like, you know, we pay you 800 bucks a month. And so I knew that I had that. Um, and that made me feel safe. Cause I was like, at least I can pay rent in Berlin is beautifully cheap. So that covered rent. So you're okay. Your book um, offers, you know, advice and you make these videos that are like trying to help younger people understand all these things. And there's a pretty large, I would say, presence of, um, influencers slash sometimes just dudes, um, giving you advice on TikTok or YouTube that seem to just come out of nowhere. And I was wondering what your experience has been like being in a similar circle of like offering not self-help, but like self-guided actions. I never feel like more of an asshole than when somebody's like, oh, what kind of book did you write? And I'm like, it's a self-help book. And they're like, say that again. I'm like, it's wrote a self-help book. Hello. (laughs) Um, I have never really leaned on this too much, but relent on this. Wow, I see a shitty author and English major. I don't even remember the past tense of words. Uh, <laughs> but I had to quit a big fancy job that I had working at Facebook back when Facebook was still remotely okay uh, mm-hmm. in order to deliver my book manuscript. 
And I remember doing some press in the lead up to the book coming out. And somebody said, so let me get this straight. You quit your job in order to teach other people how to get a job. It's really genius. Yeah, (laughs) actually. And (laughs) part of the reason why I am so passionate and why, you know, you've already heard me caveat different things with like sort of as, as much acknowledgement of my privilege as I can offer without just being an asshole martyr person, right? Is there's nothing that I hate worse than the loud influencers who are like, don't worry about it. If you're not going after your dreams, it's because you're not brave enough. It's not like there's just no understanding of the fact that they have some sort of safety net and other people don't. Right. Uh, and that can mean a variety of different things. But I think we as a society have sold this idea that you're never going to be happy unless you start your own business. And that's <laughs> fundamentally not true for the vast majority of people. And it shouldn't be. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, you even see entrepreneur culture and the startup techie bros of the world who all, you know, come from a bunch of money anyways be like, yeah, no, actually the gig economy is going to be great. Right. And I'm like, I don't think you understand what you're saying and you say it so flippantly and trying to get people stoked on even freelancing, right. Or the idea of starting a company, do we need entrepreneurship in the U S around the world in order to help the economy continue to grow? Yes, absolutely. But should we tell people that that's the only route ever to career fulfillment? Oh my God, no. Uh, and so part part of my goal was to kind of just make the idea of having a nine to five sexy again, like in in some sort of way, because I, I think that it is such a wonderful and fulfilling way to make a life. And we don't talk about that in a way that makes it seem fulfilling. Well, I also think you approach it in a really gentle and specific way. Like, I don't even think like when I was using it, this was I was using it like right before graduating when I was like really stressed about work and feeling really like, okay, I don't even know how to enter like a pretty lucrative space, which was like TV. And um, I think like one of the things that was really helpful is that you just kind of put a lot of the mystique around getting a job away where it was less about like, are you qualified to do the work and more like, well, here's like what's going on. Like people are overwhelmed and there's a lot of reading and they are not getting your application in time. So the best thing you can do is just be friendly and make personal connections. Like that was the big takeaway Mm -hmm. for me. And I don't think that like, I am not a pro work person. I don't think we need to work to the bone. I don't think career fulfillment is the end all be all. I think I mean, I just like fully just don't believe that stuff at all. But I do think that there are there's a lot of merit to like making your own life in in the way that you described. So I yeah, I I just think you had like a really gentle approach that was like less like um, your job has everything. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yes, 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 yes. Your job has everything. Your job has it all. Your job will give you everything you need and more like, well, if you write a nice email and you talk nicely and you chat about what you can do, you can do like most things. Yeah. No, th- thank you. And I think that's exactly what I'm always trying to get across. And I, I specifically, I think I made a TikTok about this recently, 
specifically and intentionally, you will never hear me use the term dream job ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that everybody deserves a shot at trying to get a job that they will genuinely enjoy. And mm-hmm. so that they don't feel like every job is a survival job because a lot of people are stuck in that mentality of survival job. And it does not matter if they are making $800,000 a year, but it is is stuck in their head of like, if I lose this, I lose everything. Right. Uh, or alternatively, not even the scarcity mindset, but just the like, all work sucks. I grew up watching my dad go to the office, hating his life and coming home saying, thank God I'm, you know, fucking home from work every day or whatever. Like that example too, of people learning to hate work, no matter what I'm like, these are all just leftover either generational trauma or from, you know, a different era of capitalism. And we, we just have to poke at it uh, a, a little bit and try to survive it with at least some humor and yeah, gentleness. That's a, a good way to put it. Oh, well, I have a bit of a generalized question. What is your opinion on uh, cover letters <laughs> <laughs> and do they matter? <laughs> And do I have to write a cover letter? My opinion on cover letters is I could teach you how to write a good one. Sure. I would rather you spend all that effort learning how to write a great networking email so that you never Mm -hmm. have to write another cover letter again. Uh, From personal experience and many, many, many uh, friends, students, readers, whatever, who have done the same thing. They're like, oh my God, you know, what you told me was right, which is you get into that first second, it's informal. And then all of a sudden they're like, actually, we are just going to put you through the loop. Will you just give me a copy of your resume? We have to have something on file, but they never ask for a cover letter to have on file. They don't, they only ask for your resume. And so I would, I would rather you figure out how to hack the system because cover letters are stupid. Thank you. They are. You heard it on here first. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is like one of the first things I learned actually from you and being like, oh my God, yeah, it like literally doesn't matter. I think it's so excruciating to have to prop yourself up by like what feels like actually pipe cleaners. Like every time I write a cover letter, I'm like, I'm a court jester. I'm jangling around <laughs> with my little I'm dancing. shoes. I'm dancing. Pipe cleaners are propping me up on the stage. Like, I'm not real. This is not real. I'm not this person. And I think it's cool to just email someone and be like, listen. Yeah, you're completely right. Court jester is a funny way to put it. And I think, you know, the the language that we were all taught to use are still taught to use horrifically in 2022 in normal career centers all over the world is this sort of like almost like, Vic- I call it like Victorian era corporate English, right? The to whom it yeah. may concern, like, to, 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 exactly whom, whom are you? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, absolutely not. Right. Nobody speaks like that. You don't use this language in any other part of your life. Uh, yes, there are still industries that are more formal and, you know, industries where it's still ages older as opposed to, of course, you know, tech or something, media, where it's, it's quite a bit younger now. Uh, but yeah, it, it just, I think it feels like theater because it is, cause it, it's not, it gets farther and farther and away from what our real life actually looks like all the time. 
Yeah. There's a lot of to whom it may concern. I am interested in right. the following position. And it's like, <laughs> oh, unsavory. Whether it is nobler. Um, <laughs> Alexa, I was also uh, an English major and definitely went through uh, the big, the big, what am I doing being an English major? Um, but then also you, I believe, were, you had like a concentration in jazz I got my master's is that? my master's in jazz vocal performance. Cool. That's wild. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. I, I've always been a singer and uh, anybody who knows me thinks that it's a horrible accident that I wound up with a book deal instead of a record deal. Like it was all like a comical, <laughs> you know, comedy of errors. Uh, I've always been a singer. I sang in uh, the jazz band in high school and in college and then... Going into my senior year of college, had this drunken lunch with my mother, where we wound up seeing five hours later, of course, uh, some like boomer happy hour cover band. And I was just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And it's one of the only light bulb moments I've ever had in my life, wasted, where I was like, I should be on stage like that person. No offense to her, but like she clearly had worked really, really hard to be mediocre at something I was naturally great at. And I was like, I owe it to myself to pursue music. And then, of course, my American conditioning kicked in and I was like, but that's irresponsible. Can't I can't actually pursue. So you know what I'll do? I'll I'll pursue education in music because education is what? Safe. And so (laughs) somehow all of this twisted together in my brain. And remember, also, I wanted to be in Europe. So literally within 24 hours, all of this spiraled into I'm going to get a master's in jazz performance in Europe. I think people hold themselves back from doing what they artistically love, including uh, comedy. I think there's a lot of people who are like, I won't do comedy because like it's a waste because it's really quite difficult to make money doing comedy. Um, (laughs) Shockingly so. Shockingly, it's so... (laughs) But yeah, like that doesn't mean you should not give it a shot, you know, like there's other things in life than work. Yes. And I think one of the problems with the way that we talk about the arts is we talk about it as if you don't meet the like Cinderella fairy tale version of success, then you have failed at your art. You have failed at your craft. And that's not true, right? And and it's so stuck in all of us, right? It's like, well, if I'm not paying myself by selling tickets to my sold-out stand-up comedy shows, then therefore I'm a, I'm a failed comedian. I must not be a good comedian. Uh, I think the person who speaks most beautifully on this is Liz Gilbert. Not actually in Big Magic, the book, but she did a Big Magic... Uh, podcast to promote the book. If you guys know it at all, this is probably now six, seven years ago, I guess, but the the podcast was called Magic Lessons. And it was all people who passionately wanted to do something, be a comic, be a, a, you know, spoken word, poetry artist, whatever. And it was just about all the mental blocks that stopped them from starting. Uh, And so much of it is just, you know, I won't even call it fear of failure. It's just this idea that we've built it up that like, if you do it as a hobby, it's pathetic, which, which like, where the fuck did we get that from? That's how, what a horrible thing to think. Like, we should all create just because it makes us happy. 
There's so much like purpose driven stuff that I think Americans do and that like, you know, as an American person that I've like grown up thinking, which is that like your work gives you purpose and work fulfillment gives you purpose and making money from your passion is what gives you purpose. Like just all this stuff that just feels so it just really warps you. Like you're like, if I if I'm doing any kind of art and I'm like making a living from it. I will feel fulfilled and I will have purpose and my art will have purpose. And that I think is included in, in our, my interpretation of stand up too, when I was growing up was, well, I'm going to be like touring and then that's going to make me so fulfilled. <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> it's just not true. Um, because yeah. I think like now even being around people who are comics and like meeting them and talking to them like those are still real life people with regular problems and like it's not like all of that goes away and it's not like they don't struggle with loneliness and struggle with like heartbreak or I'm like my voice cracked when I said that but it's because I was swallowing saliva I'm, I'm like fine <laughs> listener but I mean like it's really it makes it seem like it's all tied <laughs> wow. and I feel like the more I think about just not having a purpose the easier it feels to just approach work and hobbies and like things that I love because I'm like I'm just here to enjoy whatever my life has to offer. I'm, I'm just, just trying to vibe. Yeah. I, I, I'm just trying to vibe. I made a TikTok recently. It was a stitch or something. I don't remember, but I was just talking about how like you, your job cannot save you. And what I mean by that is we have sold this fairy tale idea of purpose and this is great. And we sell it as if once that happens, it's like, that's your happily ever after. And everything after that is just like fluffy, pillowy, I don't know, clouds made of marshmallows or something. Right. But like, unfortunately you're still human the whole time. Uh, and yeah, you, you experience all kinds of different things. And I really found that to be true personally, or I saw it reflected back at me when I had to quit, you know, my snazzy tech job at Facebook in order to deliver my manuscript. I literally had to quit a job because I got a book deal, which in Facebook, that was very exciting because I was like one of the few people who wasn't quitting to go to Google. Like they just kind of go back and forth from each other. It's pretty boring whenever anyone announces that they're leaving. And so everyone who wanted to talk to me about it was like, oh my gosh, good for you. Like you get to leave your job. And like, now you finally achieved your dream. And I was like, I'm, do you know me? I was like, I was never my dream to get a book deal. I was like, this was just a accident. First of all, like this was all a big misunderstanding. So there's, yeah, that, that piece of it. Oh, I fell over. Uh, and then the other piece of it is like, I actually really like, I'm one of those dorks that genuinely likes building software. I love building software. And that is another life that I could and would and sometimes do happily live. And people wanted to put it in this like good and evil heaven and hell dichotomy of, you know, oh, thank goodness you get to leave that prison of corporate and go achieve your dream. And I'm like, they both seem kind of fun in different ways, but this one has a hard deadline. I don't know what to tell you. It's not, and it's also not like they can't both happen. Like, you know, like life is so long and things can happen again. Life is so long. And it's just so much longer than your like weird 20s is the thing I've really been right. 
realizing. Hard, hard yes. Thing. Well, Alexa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've learned so much. And uh, we'll definitely be linking your TikTok and uh, a link to get the book down below. Is there anything else you'd like to promo? Anything coming up for you? No, I think please come say hi to me on TikTok. TikTok, Jesus. TikTok. How about that? <laughs> come say hi to me on TikTok uh, or Instagram. Same handle, Alexa Schoen. And yeah, grab a copy of the book if you uh, feel like you are uniquely screwing up your job search because I promise you're not the only one. It's not thank just you. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank you. You are thank very you. welcome. Thank you so much. This was so special. And have a wonderful Berlin night. I, I, I will. Have.